Welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I am your secret keeper and confidant, Lauren White. I'm a qualified counsellor and sexologist, madam of a secret society, author of Permission, and a witty, highly intuitive lounge room dancing introvert. I help you as an exceptional woman in entrepreneurship to see, love, and trust all the parts of yourself, especially the unseen. Let's pull back the curtain, light the candelabra, and remove the mask. These are the secrets women keep. Hello, and welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I'm your host and confidant, Lauren White, and today we have a guest that is going to move you. Their name is Sharon Holmes. Sharon is a biracial Asian writer, witch, and anti-oppression inclusion coach, the founder of Formidable Voices, and the creatrix of the groundbreaking Unpack Your Privilege courses and exclusive Patreon writings that centre on social justice, spirituality, and personal sovereignty. In 2020, Sharon became the recipient of the Spirit Scholarship, a partnership between the Kind Press and the Beautiful You Coaching Academy to write their book, Becoming Gutsy and Formidable, which I personally cannot wait to get my hands on. They're deep, a truth teller, and a true true lighthouse, and on a completely different note, they are a huge Buffy fan, a parent to their beautiful daughter and their Italian greyhounds and puppies who are just enchanting. Finally, I'm lucky to call them a friend and confidant. Sharon, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lauren. Thank you for the warm welcome, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. I'm so excited about your secrets projects, um, all of them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited too. Excitement is uh, excitement is what I'm is what I'm gravitating towards as much as possible right now. And on the note of excitement, I just shared with Sharon about how. Uh, when they shared the topic for today, the secrets of writing yourself to full self-expression, my whole body just rippled up and down with these goosebumps. And I sent them a photo um, of the goosebumps as like as evidence of how excited I felt about stepping into um, stepping into today's podcast. So, um, Sharon, on the Secrets Women Keep podcast, we go deep pretty quickly. Uh, I don't see the point in small talk particularly uh, because of my personality profile. I'm like, I just want to get to the really good, hearty, meaty kind of conversations. And the first thing I ask my guests is about the bathroom stall moments in life. Now, I define the bathroom stall moment as one in which you're trying to hold it all together as everything feels like it's falling apart. You want to be seen and simultaneously invisible, like there's ugly crying and it's not and you feel really intensely alone and you're just like what is going on and who are, who can I reach out to have you ever had a bathroom stall moment in your life and feel free to substitute it with car or office stall or any other space that's held you in those kind of emotions <sighs> yeah i've had quite a few but the one that stands out the most um would have been 2016 and um, I just got back from a deep rest retreat because I needed a little bit of time out um, away from the job that I was working at the time. Uh, I was quite stressed out um, 
I was exhibiting some trauma symptoms. I was burned out and I was experiencing a few different physical health problems that were also affecting my uh, mental health and well-being. Um, and so my bathroom stall moment was coming home from the retreat um, to my husband and daughter and within a couple of hours of being home, I was in the lounge room and all of a sudden I just felt like something really wasn't right. And I think I knew when I was away that something wasn't right because I was processing a lot of um, trauma as well. Um, the I went, I went on, on the retreat thinking that there was something in particular that I was going to be addressing. Um, you know, I put my thoughts into the process of what this is what's going to happen when I go on this retreat. And in the end, what I thought was my greatest trauma was not actually my greatest trauma. My greatest trauma was experiencing workplace bullying. Mm. Um, so I went to my bedroom, to my, to my bedroom um, and I sat on the floor and I just couldn't stop crying. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't stop crying. Um, I hyperventilated. Um, my daughter was, you know, <laughs> a bit... <laughs> you know, still in primary school at the time, came into the room asking me what was wrong and uh, my husband could hear how was, what was going on, what he wanted to know what was going on and I just couldn't speak. I just couldn't speak because the weight of that realisation that I was in a place um, that caused me so much pain um, was just so overwhelming and and not that I can compare uh, different types of trauma that I've personally experienced to each other, um, but I didn't realise how much this one had affected me. And probably I would say the reason why um, it sort of, that was my bathroom stall moment was because I had been hyper, I'd been in a hypervigilant state for well over a year after experiencing the workplace bullying. And I stayed at that workplace because I, um, didn't have the energy to go and look for another job. I didn't have the energy to put myself out there and to sell myself to yet another workplace where I didn't know what kind of environment it was going to be. I just didn't have it in me. People didn't understand why I was staying. Sharon, why don't you just leave? I wish it was that easy. And it was. It just wasn't easy. And um, that was the year that I turned 40. Um, and I returned from the retreat just two weeks shy of my 40th birthday. Um, the day before my 40th birthday, I had an appointment with a psychologist um, and it became very clear from all the things that I'd been experiencing, all the symptoms, all the feelings, everything that was bubbling up, um, that this wasn't just some, you know, little sensitivity of mine. You know, it wasn't just me being sensitive. I had developed a real problem that was having a huge impact on me and my love of life and my quality of life. I would was would spend weekend, entire weekends in bed, couldn't jump on the trampoline with my daughter, mm. couldn't play, couldn't do stuff, and this went on and on and on um, for, for obviously a very long time, like long enough um, before I cracked. And so the day before I turned 40, um, it, yeah, it was pretty much, yeah, you do, you, you have, you have a, um, a disorder, you know, you have, um, post-traumatic, um, 
stress disorder from this, you know, this long, this experience that you didn't talk about, that you didn't, um, that, that just, well, it actually got sort of re, it brought, was brought up again <clears throat> because of a few workplace things that happened shortly before I went on retreat. And um, that's how I spent the last day of my 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, with a diagnosis and extraordinarily upset, but <clears throat> I also felt relief, relief that, <clears throat> excuse me, that I wasn't imagining things, that this yeah. wasn't all in my head, that I was not going to be gaslit anymore and I wasn't going to gaslight myself anymore. Um, and the following day I had my birthday, um, <laughs> didn't really enjoy it very much, had a cry in the toilet stall at, at work. <sighs> um, Went home um, and my family and I we went out for a, a dinner at a Thai restaurant, but it's not how I expected I would enter my 40s. I didn't realize, I could never have conceived that working with a toxic, toxic person for six months would, at the time, feel like I'd been ruined. You know, like it, it, it affected me on so many different levels. Like I was insomniac, my period stopped uh. for quite some time, it was full body. Yep. shock mm-hmm. um and some of those some of the things the symptoms that I experienced I didn't <clears throat> seek help for them which I wouldn't advise um and I didn't you know I didn't pro- I wasn't capable of processing everything that was going on I was just trying to survive through all of my days and take care of the people I needed to take care of um do my job and I just shafted myself basically and didn't take care of myself. So it was a very big wake-up call. Uh, the day after my birthday, um, my extended family hosted a, a birthday dinner for me, which I couldn't even make. Like I turned up, um, but then I felt so physically sick, like I hadn't eaten anything dodgy. I didn't make it to. I didn't actually get to eat dinner and share that with my extended family. Um, I spent it vomiting. Mm. My body just was purging mm-hmm. all that it had realised. Um, so, yeah, that, that was my bathroom <laughs> stall moment, one of them. Yeah. Um, but the one that set off a whole lot of things, you know, set off a whole lot of things in terms of my expression um, and me wanting to do my own thing and, and run my own show. And that obviously came about. Um, within a couple of years of, of that that occurrence. Yeah. So if you could go back to Sharon in 2016, the Sharon that's sitting on the bedroom floor, bawling her eyes out, inconsolable, what would you say to her? You don't deserve that this happened to you and that it's, you know, it was okay to not be okay. Mm. I don't really think there were any words of reassurance that, 40-year-old Sharon would have been able to hear with so much going on. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's all I would be able to say. Mm. Something that I've spoken to other guests about is somehow it feels like there's this sense of necessity, maybe not the right word, but this sense of there's always a sense of isolation and loneliness that goes with bathroom stall moments and that's what can make them so pivotal and impactful and something that we remember, something that we never forget. What 
is there anything that you do you think there was any benefit in you feeling so alone through all of that was there anything was there anything good or helpful or affirming that came from being alone in those moments or quite the opposite um feeling alone and loneliness um during you know i guess that that dark time kind of dark time um is is a double double edged sword um on one hand excellent to just be able to process and not have to filter through what people were, would say or judgment or criticism or advice or you know i don't believe in unsolicited advice i mm. believe if you need you have to, you know you invite that you don't just have people blurting stuff at you um and I guess the flip side of, of that is um, you don't want to burden people. You don't want to burden mm. people. But you also, you know, for me, um, it really just takes one person to have for anyone that experiences um, or has experienced a bathroom store moment. It's having one person, just one, that you know you can say anything to. Mm. And they just listen. Like that's the power of a true friend, mm. someone who loves you and um, an awesome space holder. And sometimes for people that's not a friend, that's not a family member, that's not a partner. Um, for me, you know, I had a few people, you know, that I could go to, uh, family, partner, friend, um, which is great, you know, but. That's not the case for a lot of people and that's where um, the way we've been taught about life and mental health, that's where it fails us Yeah, because some people, a lot of people fall through the cracks and don't, don't ask for help. And so I would also say that it's so not easy to ask for help. Like mm. it's not easy. It is really hard. And whilst I did have the ability to and access to, you know, to to obviously a, a mental health professional, a psychologist, um, and um, people close to me that I could talk to, there were times where it didn't feel right to share what was going on within me. Um, and and there were those moments too, you know, in the lead-up to that, that bathroom store moment and thereafter where um, I'm one of those people and, and I'm sure there are a lot of other people like this too and maybe I can put some language around that and that would be where you are going through the absolute pit. You're in the absolute pit. You don't know if you're going to get out. You're in this sludge of, um, let's just use that phrase, dark night of the soul. You're in the sludge. Mm -hmm. You don't know if you're going to come out and you don't want to expose others to that. You don't want to. You don't want to be that vulnerable. You don't want to be that helpless or yeah. that hopeless. Yeah. You know. You don't. You just don't want to be that. And so, I have no um, shame in saying that during that time, I never wanted to die more in my life. Yeah. And I have what people would love to have. You know, a loving family. A you know, a good upbringing. Um, you know, parents who believe in me and, you know, uh, an awesome kid. But all of that couldn't um, melt away that sludge. 
Yeah. All those thoughts. Yeah. It's like your body goes in, your body, your brain goes into uh, fly, you know, freeze, faint mode, all of them sometimes at once. So you're sort of torn and pulled in all of these different directions with the way that you respond to trauma. And um, you have, it's like there's a switch that's autopilot and it's not going to a good place. Mm. And you don't have control over that. That's what it felt like. And, you know, the people I absolutely love the most, I couldn't even tell them that during that time. And I've since said something when I was coming out of it and I could feel like there was more time and space between the dark moment and where I was moving, like that I was, there was forward movement and I was moving away that I could talk about it. And that was hard because there's always, there's so many layers of fear involved with so many fears and, uh, you know, unwarranted beliefs that go into whether you share something with someone or not. Mm. There's the, you know, I think a lot about how, and this is a little bit of a tangent, how um, women used to be diagnosed with hysteria, mm. you know, and they would be committed to an asylum or they would have their t- children taken away and, um, the stigma that still exists when it comes to mental health is still prominent. You feel that people are going to think you're unprofessional, you can't handle shit, you can't handle life, you can't handle work, you're just a big mess. So there's all of these like automatic things that pop up like conditioning. You know, you're so conditioned by society and the environments that you work in. And if you work in a workplace that does all the talking about well-being and stuff but then doesn't provide support or just like gaslights you then of course it's going to be so much harder to come out of the pit um and yeah it 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 was scary you know just to actually say to the people that I love the most um you know some months after those thoughts were going through my head and the the processing of all that um and the, the you know when I knew that when I got to a point where all of those, that ideation was put in my, you know, in my re- very recent past, I was actually then able to say, I didn't want you to worry about me. Yeah. But this is how I was feeling. And I think now how many times have people been in that suicidal ideation and not had the opportunity sometime later to say, I went through that? How many people didn't survive through yeah. that? Yeah. And that's that's hard. So we have to normalize like we really do have to normalize the conversation around um mental health and mel- mental well-being and the environments and places that we um that we uh commune in that instigate um these problems to to rise, you know, for these problems to occur. Um there's a lot there obviously. <laughs> Um, to that need that needs to change in order for that to happen, um, because you know without practice, what we're hearing and what we're witnessing are just words. Yeah, they're just lip service. Yeah, yeah. Oh, policies, guidelines—they're wonderful. How about reinforcing them? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, so I had, I had. There was denial of the extent of the issue um, in my situation. Um, there was, you know, that it was all in my head that I had experienced this this occurrence, this situation at the workplace I worked at, 
there was denial that anything was ever that I was wrong hard done by or that I was wrongly done by um there was a lot of that and um I'm going to mention and this is the bit that didn't really kind of kick in for me until maybe a couple of years later a year or two later when I started doing more focusing more of my writing and the reason why I focus more of my writing on social justice and anti-racism and anti-oppression was because I was processing and going through my identity I was examining everything you know I'd gone through a few traumatic things I'd gone through this experience and I then wanted to um, examine and explore um, and then I was able to see the links once I had the language I was then able to put language to what had actually been occurring what had actually happened who was involved um, and once I was out of there what I noticed was that every person the people that I went to for help were all white people like the person who I had the complaint against mm-hmm. and all the people that made the decisions about whether there was something wrong or not were all white people and when it came time to um, restructure that I was the one that ended up um, moved and subsequently you know lost my job with a redundancy so it's really interesting when you can look back you know three years on and see all of the pieces and how who played what part and what the Mm -hmm. identities of all of those people are um so obviously with the research I've done with regard to anti-racism and anti-oppression the many layers of oppression that um people who have marginalized identities experience I could see really clearly and understand um completely exactly what happened yeah on reflection um and absolutely i would say there was a combination a combination of conscious and unconscious behaviors that took place with regard to how that situation was handled absolutely um and i think it's like unconscious stuff is scary but people who consciously do things that are harmful and unethical that's the that's the scary bit that's the bit you have to watch out for mm. What have you, well, it's a big question, but how has your identity changed over the last four years? I know who I am. Mm, shit, yeah. And no one can tell me yeah. any different. I know who I am. Uh, I've written about this a number of times that I define myself and I guide people to defining themselves too. No one can gets to tell you what you are, who you are, what you're made up of, you get to decide that. And it's so important to take that self-awareness journey for yourself. Mm. You know, go on that ex- go on that expedition mm. and discover who you are, who you are under all of the shit and all of the layers and all of the conditioning and all of the things that are put upon you um, under <laughs> all of the many systems of oppression and all the conditioning um, that you've received because you you are just you would be described in a particular way because of how you look or um, what gender people assume you are mm-hmm. or what sexual orientation people assume you are all of those many layers or all, all of the invisible things that people don't get to know unless they know us you know invisible illness chronic illness invisible disability all of those things that people just don't care very much about. Mm. Yeah. 
um, or until it happens to them, yeah. and then until all of a sudden, to them, or yeah, until it happens to them, and then and if they until it happens to them, they use those parts of you that they they deem uh, not as good or not as superior. They use that, those things against you. Mm. You are a prolific writer. I remember you sharing with me at one point that was it that you'd written a million words in one year when you had some sort of oh yeah I, uh, sort of yeah. like scribe counter or something yeah I yeah I use um Grammarly app just oh, to you know just for a type that you know obviously you still it just gives you suggestions and then you can just modify what it is that you want um and I've been I've been using that app for maybe. I think it's coming up to three years now. Yeah, it's coming up to three years and I actually just got a reminder of how many words it, it has checked for me over the last three years. It's over three million words. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ryan is a prolific writer. Your Instagram at one point had over 5,000 posts. That's right. Most, <laughs> yep, most of which over-delivered, like over-delivered in terms of teaching so that your followers could ask themselves the hard questions. Um, as much as you write online, your biggest secret dream for a long time was to write a book. And now that you've secured your scholarship, which is absolutely phenomenal, what makes you feel ready to write that book now? Uh, a few things dropped in for me, uh, actually, uh, early last year. So um, I'll tell you a little bit about how this book came about mm-hmm. because I initially had a very different book in mind. Um, around the time of all of that stuff happening (laughs) a few years back. So I had a very different book in mind. Um, And what happened was um, I was looking at writing a memoir and it felt like so, you know, I felt like such a fledgling that I was going to try and um, lift these little baby wings to write a book. Um, But what ended up happening was um, I didn't, know how I was going to tell my story without talking about trauma and I didn't know how I was going to navigate sharing my stories with regard to to experience or surviving you know to overcoming trauma um, and recovering from trauma without re-triggering myself Mm. Um, and so I stopped so um, at that time I'd had written almost 40,000 words that I had, you know, pulled from all the different places I'd written from social media stuff where I would do, you know, micro blogs or, or when I had a blog and, and, and then the writing that I sort of did as well. I had a whole structure of what I thought that book would look like. I had spoken to a writing coach at the time. We had a three-part structure to what the book was going to include. Like I did a whole bunch of research on, um, cause I, I really want it because music has been such a, a healing art to me. Um, I love the poetry of songwriters and I love lots of different types of music um, that span different genres and numerous decades. And so I wanted to use a song title for every chapter. Um, I think that's still, I will still weave music in some way into this book, but that's where it began. And then uh, when I got to the point where I was like, I don't know how to tell these 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 hard stories um I stopped and I just knew that I needed to do some more learning I needed to understand trauma better Mm -hmm. 
So I did some studies in holistic counselling to understand trauma better. I took copious notes every time trauma came up. I wrote notes about trauma, but the one, the one type of trauma that was not included in that training was racial trauma, mm. and that is the trauma I was trying to heal. And that there's a whole big story behind all of that too. And so I saw a gap in what coaches and and helping professionals were being trained in and taught. And so I, in, over the last couple of years, um, I put together a class about that, a, a training for practitioners about um, privilege, about harm, about harm prevention in the client-coach um, relationship um, centred upon um, racial trauma, raising, um, raising awareness about racial trauma um, in, in that client-coach relationship because that's a sacred relationship um, as the coach you have a coach or helping professional therapist you have a lot of power in, in that relationship yeah um, and I I had experienced um, occurrences where because um, someone in a helping profession was not well versed in diversity or inclusive language that they were using harmful language in very very outdated terms um, that in some instances are regarded as slur- in some instances are regarded as slurs today that you would be sacked for yep. using. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I developed a, a, a training and did a lot of research to put something like that together. Um, and last year I did a lot of writing um, and a lot of inner work, a lot of processing, like just really looking at everything that I'd created, all of the classes, all of the workshops, and I started to formulate and put together a framework. I was getting a real understanding of these just aren't classes. You know, there's so much more to what they are. And, and so I put together my framework together, um, Unpack Your Privilege to Formidable Business and Inclusion, which is a mouthful and it needs a much shorter name. <laughs> um, and just really looking at and also looking at what do I want to be well-practised at, you know, I want to be joyful. I want to be creative. I want to be rested. So, um, with rested, I had I was forced with that because I had developed a chronic migraine condition last year, probably because of all the years of stress and stuff. Um, I focused more on joy and and creativity, and I created a different type of circle which involved like witchy stuff that I really mm-hmm. love, and then a whole bunch of other things because I'm seriously huge on potion making. Um, and um, and I just practiced the things I really enjoyed and I found a lot of joy in that. And so um, it just dropped last year um, that, 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 that I knew what book I was going to write. But once the framework for Unpack Your Privilege to Formidable Business and Inclusion dropped, I then realised what my book was going to be about, even though that's like a portion of what, like maybe a chapter or two where I talk about that. But the whole idea dropped. And I want to share with you, um, where is it? I've got a little note. Um, I wrote myself a note on the 8th of February last year, not quite knowing um, what was going to happen because, you know, we all know that everything went tits up around Mm -hmm. this time last year. And so this note I wrote to myself, um, yeah, like a year ago. And... um, the note starts with, it is one year from now, and I am. And so I'm not going to share everything. Um, and this was before the framework dropped in. So it just goes to show, you know, how things can just 
when there is an opportunity, just what, how motivated you can then end up being. And I wrote, this is, I know there's a big lead up to this. It's not that big, big a deal. My book will be published this year is what I wrote would happen for, in 2021. Yeah. Um, and I also wrote that I am joy-filled, happy and thriving because I harvested from the seeds I planted and I didn't give up. I worked hard and now things have become more easeful. So, yeah, um, yeah, and I, I found that note about a month ago and I was like, oh, I want to open it now, but I actually waited until it was the Good, 8th Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're working from home in general, but because most people, like so many people I know all around the world are working from home, it's like, what day of the week is it? What's the date today? I didn't know. And so I kept checking, is it time yet? Is it time yet? And so I ended up opening up my note and going, ah. Um, so that's what I wrote then. And uh, when it came to... Um, winning the scholarship to publish my book, um, there was about, I think, a five- or six-week window from the date it was announced to submission. Um, and I knew for, you know, most of those weeks that I wanted to, I wanted to do my submission. Yeah. Um, and I did do my submission and it was 15 minutes before submissions closed that I put mine in. <laughs> so, so my uh, yeah, I, Nothing like a deadline, you know. Yeah. I used to, when I was yep. much younger, I used to work in, in advertising and magazine publishing, and you know, things had to be ready. The, everything had to be ready for printing, or everything had to be ready for you know, sending all the magazines and and whatever out from the the just you know from the subscription or the distributor. I can't remember the exact words. Um, and so yeah, nothing like a, a deadline for pressure. Um, and to, to just get things done, and so. I ended up spending, I think it was the nine days in the lead up to um, submissions closing was when I was when I wrote when I it, it it took a while to drop like which chapter was I going to write and then I wrote the chapter um, that formed part of my submission so yeah um, it was it was yeah it's I have to say the day that I found out that I had won. The, the scholarship and the, the publishing contract was probably, yeah, it was it was a pretty big day. It, it made, like, little bookworm, you know, little me, um, yeah. you know, child me, so happy. Yeah. Um, but obviously the book still needs to be completed <laughs> <laughs> um, before it's out into the world. But, um, yeah, it was huge because I never told anyone about, I never told anyone that I wanted to write a book until I was uh, until I started writing that first book. So that was, you know, in the last five years. I never told anyone for, you know, 30-something years of my life, almost 40 years, I guess, of my life that I wanted to write a book. I never told anyone. Like I was an avid reader as a kid. I'd read in the dark. Um, I remember when I was growing up until about the age of nine, we lived in a two-bedroom ground floor flat. And I had, and because it was like the 80s, I had these um, bright orange curtains that weren't, um, they weren't solid cotton. They were kind of like woven. So there was holes in them. And I had, so the light that would come in in the morning was this kind of orangey glow. And I always remember like reading little golden books and like, oh, I loved yeah. Ramona and I loved reading books by Robin Klein as I got a little bit older. Yes, and stuff. yes, yes. Um, but I still remember that orange curtain and the way the light looked. And I didn't end up wearing glasses until I was nine. Um, but I used to remember um, 
yeah, being reminded, why are you turning the light on and <laughs> stop reading in the dark? It was like, yeah. So, yeah, that, yeah. So, the, so little the like inner child me, um, yeah, harbored the, the secret about writing a book for so long because I didn't know if I had a story worth telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know if I would eventually have one. And even when I started writing the first book, even then I was like, how is this actually going to happen? Mm. You know, at the time, and, and I think I should share this because it's it's funny how we make certain choices because we, not necessarily because we're trying to pick the easy route, but that, that we uh, we fear rejection and we don't want to go on a different route. And so when I decided, when I was like writing the first book, I was um, thinking, well, I want. I'll just self. I'll just self-publish this book. I'll just self-publish it. Then I have full full control over cover design, everything mm-hmm. that like what the book looks like when it comes out, all of those kinds of things. Like I'll just do that. Um, but of course, like a very big part of that decision um, or that that choice um, initially was because I didn't want to to have to face rejection by submitting it to publishers yes yeah yeah yeah. I think that's a biggie like I I know a lot of people that self-publish and I know a lot of people who do go who who do get published by a publisher you know who's book book contracts and everything um so yeah it's it's interesting how it all kind of came about um because when I was first writing that book I was like I don't want to have, I don't want to have, you know, I just want to be able to do everything myself. But now, like, being in a totally different place, having grown a lot from that experience, realising that um, I do have a story to tell and my story's worth oh, yeah. reading. Um, yep. And not from, like, you know, uh, this book is all about me, but knowing that I can write a roadmap map that helps people deeply self-inquire into themselves that's the kind of book that I want to write. Like these mm. are my stories and these are my experiences and these are the lenses I see through. But what are your stories? What are your experiences? What are your lenses and what are you becoming? Yeah. That's, that's kind of, um, I guess, to summarise um, what I want for the reader to mm. experience. You know? Like I love reading other people's stories. I love to know how people got from A to Z and how things happened in their life like I love knowing that but I also want as a reader myself I want to know in what way can a writer or an author their story inspire and motivate me to do in my life not necessarily write a book but what can what can I what what might I do differently um, what might I take a chance on? What might I risk? You know, and I might take a chance on myself. I might take a risk mm. that a creative risk that I might not ordinarily take had I not read someone's book. So I think about those things when it comes to telling stories that um, it takes a long time for some of us to realize we have a story that's worth telling. Yeah. Um, and that we have something to offer people. And, and I have to say, I was. I mean, I'm a very humble person and I actually find it embarrassing when people know, have heard about me or when people tell me that they like seeing me on video or when, if they like reading my posts. Um, but I got so so many, so many much support and um, a lot of um, congratulations from people when they found out that I was going to be writing a book and having my book published, um, which was, 
yeah, I had to kind of just process. It took a while to process all of that, just for people to be excited for me. But then I think about the fact that, well, whenever I hear or whenever I read about friends or connections or even peers, people that or even people I'm acquainted with winning at life, winning at, you know, putting something out into the world, whether it be a book, a program, a podcast, um, just anything, like I'm always excited for someone. Because there are so many obstacles, um, and depending on our level of privilege that we get that we face in our journey to finding, you know, to finding our place in the world or making a place for ourselves in the world, there are so many like obstacles and challenges that we face. Um, I sometimes find most of them are internal, but there's obviously a lot of external as well, yeah, um, that we face, and that's different for everyone depending on. You know, if we're writing a book, what kind of story you want to tell and who wants to read that story and who wants to publish that story. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm really grateful um, that um, my story is going to be out in the world and, and I'm really grateful to Beautiful You Coaching Academy and to the Kind Press for, um, yeah, for this chance and also just for, yeah, just hearing the feedback about my book was pretty special as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to have your words and your story reflected back to you in that way. What did that feel like? I cried, laughed and snorted all at the same time. <laughs> so whatever that sounds like for anyone. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> that's the good stuff in life though, isn't yeah. it? Like that's, yeah. the, that's the marrow of life stuff, the cry, snort, laughter at the same time, like the, yeah. the unexpected, like the feelings that don't have a name. Like what is yeah. that feeling when you cry, snort and laugh? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of doesn't have a name, does it? But No. And, it's, you know, it's interesting um, that even when we know we really, really want something, um and we don't know if it's going to happen when it does we still doubt whether we're worthy yeah Yeah. so my first response um on the phone call was really are you sure Mm. so I think yeah really I want people to feel into that like sometimes you don't think you deserve or that you're not worthy something you want to check to make sure someone's making the right decision because they're putting all their bets on you and I'm not a gambler so excuse the that little analogy oh my goodness but yeah yeah it's yeah it's it's pretty big um and it's wonderful obviously to be validated and recognized by others but um it really has to start with you it does yeah it does it has to start with to echo some of your words back with my story matters. My story mm. has the power to move people. My story has the power to have people ask themselves the hard questions and to integrate new learnings into their life. Um, my, yeah, just my story matters. Everyone's story matters and everyone has a story. And just to share with listeners, something that I told myself for a long, long time is, And it was just literally these couple of words was, I'm not very good at telling stories. I would just say, I'm not very good at telling stories, not very good. And I noticed that I would kind of rush through stories to get to the punchline or I'd kind of share the punchline really early on and then give a little bit of backstory. And I've really worked hard to try and curb that because I know that 
I have to trust that whatever I'm sharing with whoever's in front of me, there's a gift in that and there's something there for me to get from sharing it and there's something there for the person on the receiving end to receive from hearing that story. So I assure you, no matter what your story is, it's it's interesting, it's it's um, it's human, it's relatable. Everyone has everyone has a story inside of them. And that's part yeah. of the undercurrent of this of this podcast is to share those stories. Yeah. And you can share your story anywhere. Um, mm. We're fortunate um, that there is access to, you can start your own platform, you can start your yeah. own blog, you can start your own vlog, you can tell your stories in so many different ways and you don't have to have all the equipment. You can just, if you've you know, got access to internet, laptop, phone, you can do those mm. things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be edited, polished. You don't have to have studio lighting if you're doing a video. You can still tell your story and it's still valid even if you don't have all of the equipment. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's all that other stuff is great. It doesn't necessarily make you more professional or more worthy of telling a story. It's window dressing. If you're telling a story, yeah. your story is your story, and that's the thing that people will focus on, hopefully, yes. and not like the dust on your blinds or yeah. <laughs> like the fact that there's two different types of light in your room or any of that stuff. You know, yeah, it's all superficial. Um, when you've got yeah. something that's really that really captivates, and mm. trust me, everyone has this, then um, all of that, like you said, all of those window dressings fall away, and they can just become a mask for putting off telling your story. They can just be a, oh, well, I don't have this polished thing and I don't have that. That's, you know, a lot of that's a delay. It's a delay tactic from telling your story and it can be in the written word. It can be spoken. It can be, um, it can be anything. So start, start sharing so that we can liberate each other. That's the, that's the point about sharing our stories. Yeah. Yeah, And we're human. We love gossip. We love, you know, knowing what's going on with people and, and finding out, you know, the juicy stuff. It um, doesn't even have to be juicy. Like sometimes, particularly given the time in the world that we're living in right now, sometimes the stories that you think are minor or mundane um, are actually helping people get through their day. Like mm. I've been watching YouTube videos where someone is talking about writing and they're like cleaning the house at the same time so I can actually see them doing their cleaning they're processing they're talking and stuff um but yeah with the isolation that people are experiencing um there is like magic in the mundane Mm. um, and and talking about you know um not everyone can write their story some people are better at speaking that story and telling a story that way um because sometimes the the you know the bounds of the page you know the page border on on the screen um are quite limiting for some people to be able to express what they want and also for some people um using their voice is a way to process and and get their story out and um sometimes when I think about you know I've experienced lots of different types of healing but you can use your voice as a sound healing by not only for others but in getting to express your story, mm. being able to process. So some people can post, can write, but then it's some people write how they speak and some people do, everyone does it differently. Um, I Most of the time I think I write how I speak maybe 
without all the maybes, ums and ahs and so on. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think some, because, I mean, if I'm talking and speaking and sharing a story, then there's going to be lots of tangents that wouldn't translate on the page. It just yeah, yep. Like, fine for a transcript, but maybe not for a story or an article or a post or anything like that. So um, to be able to find your voice and to, you don't even have to have an audience. That's the thing. You can just right for you and I think that's the main thing you know whatever it is that you need to process whatever it is that you need to um get down or speak up on just do that and so long as you are um being you know truth truthful and in your truth Mm. then it doesn't matter if people are listening or not because you're you're also getting that experience of being able to process and reflect and contemplate and then move through any emotions or experiences that are coming up or arising or that you're remembering Mm. yeah it's powerful stuff you can just start with an instagram profile or a facebook profile you just you don't you don't need anything that costs anything and it can make massive shifts for you and for anyone reading it could just be one person and that's the power of that speaking out Sharon, I wanted to ask you, fullest expression and fully expressed are kind of hot terms right now. I I see them around the place. I catch myself saying them. I personally love them and think they encapsulate quite a lot, like maybe even more so than simply saying confidence or sovereignty. I feel like fully expressed can really be an umbrella term for that and so much more. What does fullest expression mean to you? fullest expression um for me i i've used and written about the term fully expressed before um and for me that wasn't that 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 term um i didn't find out about that term through writing i found out about that term through art um it would have been about six years ago um i did a three-day painting workshop um here in brisbane with um a Portland artist that flew over from the States, Jesse Reno, and um, it was three full days of just laying down paint and just seeing what came out, you know, using your hands, using whatever, using your hands, using, you know, different tools, just um, using different paint to just create something and not knowing what was going to unfold layer by layer. Um and so we painted for three days and I painted, yeah, three paintings. Um, and it was so cool because there was like lots of other people, there was like maybe 10 people doing the class and um, Jesse showed us like what he was painting, um, showed, you know, he just uses, you know, really basic paints. And you, you don't need like fine artist paints or anything to paint something that is awesome that, um people see magic in um you can use really basic you know equipment you don't you can use school brand you know school quality paint you don't have to use anything fancy um and it was just yeah three days of just seeing what was going to happen as I painted and and just really being in that moment like I find any art form even when I was doing jewelry making um just even bashing metal on an anvil like that is kind of even though it's noisy it's still a form of meditation because you're concentrating you're like concentrating but also you're in that moment um so there's a lot of space that that creates Mm. um because you are not going you're not thinking about um 
this has to look perfect or because it's full exploration. You're fully expressing yourself on the paper or on the canvas. There is no censorship. There are no boundaries. You're not following any rules. If you're going to make, if you want to use primary colors and, and secondary colors, fine. Like nothing has to work together. You know, nothing has to be complementary. It's just seeing what happens as you lay it down. Um, and at the end of the workshop, um, just Jesse went round to everyone and just, you know, just asked them how, you know, how they found, you know, painting and what, how that, you know, what they enjoyed and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, offer a few words to, to each of us. And um, he said of my paintings that, that to him they felt fully expressed, like I put every, like I'd put whatever I wanted into them. And so for me, um, because that was like I was already writing on my blog for a few years by that time. I was doing a lot of painting, helped me process a lot of trauma at the time, even, you know, previously. Um, and it's just um, when I think about writing now and coming to a place of full expression, it's it's about what I want to put down, what it is that I want to write, you know, telling my story, defining myself, not letting anyone, not letting others define me. Mm. Um, and I guess there's sovereignty in that, like, and freedom in that and liberation yeah. in that as well because um, I can, you know, it's not so much about expressing opinions and then people judging that and you being wrong. It's just you're getting it out of you because I spent a lot of years where I obviously harboured my secret about writing a book for a very, very long time because mm. I didn't think my story was worth telling or that that because I didn't want the pressure of people saying, so how's your book going? Book going. Oh. When are you writing a book? So yeah. I wanted to avoid that. I, I preempted that that might happen, you know, eventually. It's not bothering me now because everyone knows, most people know that <laughs> who know me know that I'm writing a book and people do ask and that's cool, but, but I'm actually doing it. It would be different if I was just not even, I didn't even have a skeleton outline and I was just still trying to decide. Um, so for me, yeah, full expression is just, I don't leave anything unsaid. If I'm feeling it, if I'm thinking it, it's going to get written or spoken about and I'm going to put that somewhere. Mm. Um, because the pain of being silent is not worth the agony of, of what's unsaid, you know. It's not yeah. worth the regret. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are, you know, it doesn't even have to be about writing or storytelling. There have been times that people have had in their lives where they wish they just said something. They wish they, you know, concluded or resolved something. They wish they just said something or, you know, and they never got the chance. Mm. Or and, and it's those unsaid things that I don't want to harbour in my body because I've reflected on those times where I could have said something or should have said something about all the different kinds of things from relationships through to negative, you know, horrible experiences and stuff. And um, it's so important to be able to use your voice in whatever way that shows up for you. Your voice isn't just, you know, what comes out of your mouth. It can be how you write. It can be how you paint. It can be what you create. Mm. Whatever comes out of you, it can be dance. It can be movement. I mean, yeah. Yes. Um, stuff on your when you post videos and stuff it's like fully expressed is expressing yourself in whatever way you want mm. no limits unless you get tired and you have to have a nap but no <laughs> limits. <laughs> yeah yeah thank you I I really what you said really resonates and I feel like 
whatever preconceived ideas I had of fully exp- of what fullest expression is, I feel like you've fleshed them out a little bit more, particularly through your story, actually, of your of you generating those paintings over the three days and really just giving yourself permission to allow whatever wants to come through to come through, to not have what I heard from that was that you didn't have an agenda. No, no agenda. It was like this is not going to, who knows what it's going to, I've tried to do still life painting and they're never going to look like the still life because I don't paint like I took a photograph. Mm. (laughs) Like things are out of proportion whereas, and that's the thing that I most love with um, experimental, intuitive Mm. and um, abstract art is it can still have form without being about objects or or um, portraits of people. It can still have, you know, meaning. And, yeah, it's interesting when I look at the paint, like I have one of the paintings in this room that I painted on that weekend and it's still like it probably is going to forever be my favourite painting that I've ever painted <laughs> because of I can see all the layers, you know. You ah. can see the very first layer in some parts of it. You can see that I've used my fingers. There's like fingerprints. You can see my fingerprints. Mm. It's got, yeah, it's just you can see that someone was there, someone did that, Mm. and there's multiple layers. And I guess that's, you know, I guess also uh, all the many layers that we have as as humans too. Yeah, it's symbolic. There's a lot more. That's a lot. There's a lot more to us than just what we say in our bio what we post on social media, mm. where that one image, one photo of us that we've put up there, you mm. know, we are made of multiple moments of strength and joy and play and art and loss. We're made up of so many different layers. Mm. And so fully expressed also to me is we don't reduce ourselves, we expand ourselves. We mm. don't ever mm. That's like the freedom of art and I think Coming from that place, coming from, you know, I would encourage anyone who's never painted, thinks they're not an artist, like the freedom that comes with just throwing down paint is just really awesome. Like <laughs> it, it, there's, there's just, you know, there's, you don't have anything to prove. You're not trying to get your painting in the gallery and if you are, you know, awesome, mm. try, do it. Um, but, yeah, there's just, I think, a different, a different um, layer of learning in that that comes to you through painting, that you can then use that um, that liberation in other things. And I think that for me has been, I mean, art. I am still drawn to art. Every time I'm feeling low, I'm still drawn to art. Looking at other people's art, um, doing my own art. Still, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just. It's really grounding as well, you know. If you're feeling wonky and wobbly, it it brings you, you know. It sometimes people get um, find that they can't sit still or concentrate with meditation. Um, meditation does not have to be about sitting down or lying That's down right. with your eyes closed. It can yeah. be awake movement. It can be dance. It can yeah. be 
whatever it is that you want. It can be a combination of paint and dance. If yeah. I'm room, I would do both. <laughs> so, you know, like it, it is whatever you, you and want. I need to get together and do this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already concocting a workshop <laughs> of, of paint and Painting dance. And dance. <laughs> it's going to be messy. It's going to be messy. But that's, that's us in yeah. our fullest expression, right? Being that's in your right. fullest expression right. is messy, right? It's not mm. this linear, polished, uh, mm, version yeah, of perfection. you yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah it's like perfection and just perfection and the concept and idea of needing to prep for perfection is what stops people from even trying yeah in the first place and yeah you don't get to be fully expressed unless you are willing to be unprepared to take mm. a risk mm. to put more time into yourself and what it is that you would like to make um, but like I said, I would encourage anyone who hasn't painted to just play. Remember the little kid that you once were who loved finger painting yeah. or or playing with Play-Doh, um, just those kinds of things. Like over the last few years I've made things with clay, I've made little candle holders out of clay, like clay that's air-dry clay, um, polymer clay, I've made little incense holders. Like there's just something about the tactile nature of making yeah things with your hands or even using a paintbrush or even using a pen there's just you know I'm a, I love different textures and stuff I'm that person that goes to a shop a clothing shop and I will touch every fabric because yeah. I want to feel the difference like um it stimulates my senses and, and I'm like it's sort of one of those things about me I guess but um I would recommend to everyone listening to get really sensory. If you're not already, you are a sensory creature. Mm. There might be different degrees of it and some people might be, you know, more more sensory or have higher sensory needs than other people. But if you are living in a very digital world, if you are um, moving from, you know, the middle, the medium-sized screen, which is your laptop, to the to your phone, to your TV. Then I would suggest that you get more sensory. And one of the things I did in the last year was um, I started to get really into wax seals, and it's so simple wow. and it's so fun. So it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Oh, Shan's uh, <laughs> just showing me um, her, uh, one of their stamps, one of their seals at the moment, and it's just <laughs> so. It's it's very. It, you know, very good for short attention spans, very sensory. There's the the flame and you, there's a smell to it and then there's the sensation of pulling the seal off. I just, I, when I created Secret Society, I was just like I made oils for the members and I put Lovely. wax seals on things that I sent them. I, and I, just, I just love it. <laughs> it, it. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to be, it can be anything, just full permission for it to be anything. Um. Sean, you've shared so much with us today, so much about um, what women grapple with, the secrets that we keep, um, what we conceal, what we keep hidden away. I'm just wondering, I normally ask about what you would like women or people who identify as women struggling with being their fullest selves to know but I feel like you've just answered all of that intuitively and instinctively in your last response so I'm wondering if I can ask you some quick shoot questions to finish up these sure. are just whatever your first answer that comes through to you if you can just share it 
um, with myself and the listeners today. Are you ready for that? Oh, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's your favorite sensation? Oh, goodness. Oh, um, and I haven't been in the ocean for a while, but when you first get into the ocean and you're bracing yourself, like, you know, it's hot, you know, it's summer or springtime, you know, because you can swim a lot, you know, many months of the year here in Australia. But when you first get in and it's like that cold, giggly, bracing feeling and then once you get in and it's just, yeah, it's because it's multiple sensations. It's the the, the chill. It's the, the movement of the water. It's then when you get comfortable and then it's when you float or swim and you just, yeah, you're just in it. Yes, yes. I could I could feel it as as a, when you said brace yourself and I could feel the the inhalation and then that sense of relief when you're immersed. You're like, it's so fresh, I feel so good, I feel alive. Yeah, totally. It's the freshness. It's the freshness. Yeah. Uh what's your favorite secret place? Um I guess it's not really a secret. There's um there's a reservoir that's down the road from here. Oh. Reservoir. Um, I quite like that. There's like a you know a couple of kilometers walking track, and you can swim in in there. And yeah, it's just like a it's nice and peaceful as well. Lots of trees, trees and water together. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm right with you on that one. I love Anogra Reservoir. If any Brisbane residents assume anyone comes to visit, it is a really beautiful, magical place. Uh, what's one secret talent you possess? Hmm. I tell so many stories. I sometimes wonder what's the secret anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, maybe just, maybe just not widely known. Um, I'm not sure, actually. Probably something to do with cooking because I do like to cook. Um, oh, I, I didn't yeah. know that about you. Yeah, yeah, I like to cook, and um, and whilst I sometimes use recipes, mostly I'm an intuitive cook, so I just put in mm. what I think. I don't measure stuff. Like if I'm using herbs and spices, I just put in what, what you know, takes my fancy, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and I really love slow cooking, slow cooking foods mm-hmm. in or in in the oven, and um, then the, just the whole prep to finish process. You know, um, like I said before, with hitting metal on an anvil or painting, it's just like a meditation. Likewise, is you know, yeah. prepping everything to go into the pot. Yes, yes. What's your secret pleasure? Mm. Um, I really like my solitude. I like spending time alone. I need that. Um, Yeah, I mean, even though isolation, hello, um, and being physically distant from a lot of people, um, I just really like, I really like the space and the quiet when, no one's home or if I go someplace on my own just there's no like like there's no noise there's no 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 noise no interruptions I really love just having space and and time to myself and and I you know I was an only child and stuff and and so um a lot of the things I enjoy are solitary practices or they can be things done with people like I've translated a lot of things I enjoy for myself to doing it with people in groups like painting and art and and potion making and things like that so um yeah time time on my own just because it gives me an opportunity to recharge yeah yeah who's one woman or person who identifies as a woman who's really seen you Mm, do I have to say just one (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I'm just going to say the first person that came to mind um, because, yeah, they've been just an incredible support over the years that we've known each other. Um, that's Sonali Fisk. Oh, yes, yes. American. Yeah, she did that awesome um, TEDx talk a few years back, yeah, and, and has been a speaker at, at, um, at two of my events. So, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, she's a sister that's yeah got my back and gets me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such a special feeling. And one-on-one conversation or mingling through a bustling soiree? Oh, give me the one-on-one. <laughs> yeah. like you, you started the conversation with saying, you know, you're getting to, you know, getting in deep straight away. It's like I don't really, small talk's just uncomfortable. Too many people, and if I don't know people, is a bit, daunting even though I've definitely had to do that um, in my business the last few years but yeah a really good one-on-one where you're like in this time warp like I catch up with my friend um, Catherine McKenzie Smith and four or five hours disappears like in a flash and sometimes I think we've just entered a different like parallel universe mm. at that time <laughs> yeah yeah I can relate yeah um, Jan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I have been really moved by the sharing of your stories and what I've taken away is the importance of sharing your story. I'm kind of going to marry a couple of things that you said, if if that's okay. It's the importance sure. of sharing your story and being fully expressed as you share your story and that that can look, that can be a combination of things. That doesn't have to be one thing. Um, It can be however you want, however you feel most exploratory and most liberated expressing it and have no agenda with it to just release it. No expectation. Yeah. No, powerful stuff. Where can you please share with listeners where we can find you online? Um, yeah, my website's at the moment is gutsygirl.com.au. Um, that's going to be updated soon. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Sharon A. Holmes, and I use that name on Twitter as well. They're probably the three best places to find me. I am on Facebook as well. Yeah, yeah. And please give Sharon a follow or sign up to her Patreon account. She, they are just so generous in what they share. And um, I know that accessing Sharon's work mainly through Unpack Your Privilege has just been such a game, such a game changer and so enlightening and one of the best investments that you'll ever make. I hope this episode has contributed to your understanding of your secret self. If you enjoyed it, please share it on Instagram and tag me so more women can feel seen and understood. And if you never want to miss an episode, then subscribe now and you won't miss a whisper.